You're listening to a Tiger Hall podcast. For more interviews with many of the world's most inspiring business leaders, uploaded daily, download Tiger Hall from the App Store or Google Play. We're in the Tiger Hall with Arma Iqbal, Head of Digital Transformation at Facebook, Asia Pacific, and former Director of Digital Strategy and Innovation for Southeast Asia at Deloitte Digital. Arma, the average age of a $1 billion unicorn is just six years old, and the S&P Top 10 is now being taken over by startups, and corporates are falling over themselves to try and capture some of this startup magic. So with this in mind, Arma, you essentially spend your time helping corporates think, act, and behave more like a startup. So can you tell me, why is there such a demand for this right now? Well, It's a good question. I'm sure we've all heard by now the term that we're living in the age of exponential. So if you think about in the past, it may have taken a 100 years for a transformative technology to really sort of disrupt an industry. These days, it can happen in five years. So if you look at what's going on in financial services with cryptocurrency, digital wallets, virtual banking, etc., we're in this state of constant flux where companies really need to shift from trying to build a stable platform to really sort of shifting into a state of constant evolution. So the good news is it's easier than ever to build up these startup capabilities. So with the rise of digital, we've seen some some of these companies bringing in people from startups. So Neil Cross very famously says when he was starting the DBS Innovation Lab, it was literally him, two other people and a table. So it's very cheap and quick and easy to get these things started. So I think if you can hire the right people and let them do what they do, it's easier now uh, more than ever to to act like a startup. What are the biggest challenges in this area and how can people work to overcome them? So I think the biggest challenge is if you're an innovator within a large corporate is to get executive involvement. And I think that's very different from executive buy-in, which involves uh, there's a challenge around getting seed uh, funding, which is not so much the case. If you look at how many innovation labs there are out there, clearly seed funding is no longer the problem. So How do you keep the executive within your organization challenged and involved and engaged? So we were working with a a large telco last year where they had launched an innovation program, but we kind of felt there was a risk that the innovation team would quickly get drawn back into day-to-day business problems. So we made it a point to invite the senior executives along to the daily stand-ups and the sprint showcases. Initially, it was a bit jarring. Um, the team felt a little bit of hesitance to speak openly in front of senior execs. And sometimes they would arrive late and they would expect status updates and the like. But um, our solution really was just to kind of play dumb. If the execs were late, we would kick off the meetings anyway. So within a few weeks, the teething issues kind of were all solved. And the level of buy-in that we saw from those execs being intimately involved in those sessions was uh, really sort of transformative. And yeah, it was a bit unorthodox, but very well fit for that company's unique culture. If you had to narrow it down to the top three most important things, that might be a difficult chore for you, but what are the top three most important things someone should should know about this? Well, I'd say firstly, if you're not already innovating, you're already playing catch up. Um, So why corporates should innovate, as you said, startups are kind of taking over the S&P top 10. Companies younger than 30 years old now generate four times shareholder value as compared to older companies. 
So you can spend five minutes Googling and you'll find loads of other stats, but the lesson is clear. We need to innovate or die if we're a large corporate. So number two, don't try to be a startup. You can't be a startup, but what you can do is borrow from the world of startup and take some of those behaviors. Uh, there's a great book by Scott Anthony called Dual Transformation, where they talk about the capabilities link. And the idea is effectively, there's actually a lot of strengths that can come from the parent company. So you've got instant reach with an, a pre-installed uh, customer base, intellectual property, easy access to growth capital, etc. So there's lots of these things where a corporate can marry the advantages of the large company with some of these, um, the fluidity of a startup um, and build uh, the, the advantages. If you can get that mix right, it really can have a big impact. And third, finally, I'd say if you're an individual working at a corporate and you don't feel they're already innovating, start looking for another job. According to a report by Deloitte, the half-life of a skill set is now five years old, uh, meaning you need to, as an individual, constantly be working on new business problems, stretching yourself and expanding into new areas. Uh, a friend of mine recently sort of reached out. He's quite senior at a large global company and he's been working in an operational role for close to 20 years now. He's gotten to a point where he realizes there's very little ladder left for him to climb. Um, within his organization. But in a way, he's been so siloed, he also doesn't have much in the way of transferable skills to jump to a different ladder, so to speak. And I think this is a tough situation. Thankfully, he's recognized that early enough to sort of start um, looking at different skill sets and training and things that he can do. But I think this will start to become a much more common scenario over the next 10 years. Um, people who find themselves in an organization and uh, don't have the skills uh, that they can transfer into more innovative sort of areas. Hmm, got me a bit worried now. <laughs> um, I'm sure podcasts are here to stay. <laughs> uh, are there any downsides for a corporation acting like a startup? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think the biggest pitfalls come when the intent isn't there. Um, so we've seen lots of innovation uh, initiatives launched that seem to be there just to grab headlines. And if your goal is to grab headlines then and the media is talking about it, then that may equal success. But eventually it just becomes a drain on the, on the business. So unless you're truly investing in innovation to fundamentally shift your business forward and you understand that in doing so, you might actually break your existing business model, it's just not going to work. So, for example, you see lots of innovation labs spun up with shiny technology and great office spaces. But then a year or two into the journey, the CFO comes knocking on the door and saying, hey, where's the ROI from this investment? So even worse, um, they often force these innovation units to use too much from the parent company. So, hey, we already have existing technology or HR policies. Why don't we just use that stuff rather than you know, acting like really like a startup and going and building your own thing. So all of this really uh, lends to the set up to fail type syndrome. And we've seen a lot of examples, especially in Asia, where banks and insurance companies in particular have started to shut down some of these innovation labs because it didn't really deliver what they wanted in the first place. And I think that's less a question of execution. It's more a question of what was the intent in the first place. So it's critical to get that right. Are you able to tell me a bit about the behind the scenes? What does that look like for a big traditional corporation trying to behave like a startup? And if you have any examples, that'd be great as well. Sure. So 
I'm a big fan of looking back into ancient history and seeing what we can learn from what's happened before. So if we rewind about a hundred years, the, the height of the industrial revolution, we saw factories ruled, uh, the industrial sort of, uh, landscape. So how they would operate was they would burn coal to boil water, to create steam, to spin turbines that would generate power to sort of power their machines, which was quite a labor intensive process. Then, hey, this disruptive technology came along called electricity. So what happened? Well, it was everyone agreed it's a great transformative technology that's come along. It's disrupting our industry. However, the implementation was, well, we'll use electricity to boil the water, to create steam, to spin a turbine, to... You can see, really, they haven't transformed anything. They just replaced one thing with another. And to be fair, it probably delivered some sort of a 10% efficiency for them. You don't have to have people shoveling coal anymore, that sort of thing. So it sounds kind of silly in hindsight. And of course, as we know, the the real transformation came when they said, well, why don't we cut out everything in between and just hook the machines directly up to electricity? So if we look at what's going on today, every corporate in particular in Asia, has increased their technology spend exponentially. Um, I like to call it everybody is out there buying the Ferrari of tech stacks. Um, but are they really getting 10x benefits from that? Everyone's buying the same technology, so there's not really a competitive advantage gained. There's very little investment around the technology in terms of operational processes or people training. How do you really extract the value out of that technology uh, investment? Um, especially when you've still got layers of management still involved in decision-making, those sorts of things. We're not really learning from the tech world enough in corporates. So while the CTO continues to increase budgets, everywhere else there's largely status quo. Everything stays the same, similar to the factories of yesteryear. So I'll give you an example. Without mentioning any names, a few years ago we were having discussions with a large retail organization And they'd approached us to help with their digital transformation. So we worked with some of their digital teams, very smart people, and we collectively came up with a plan that mapped out how they could not only create efficiencies in their current physical retail operations, but also start to innovate and move into other other areas that would be slightly more disruptive. So it would really have been a first in Asia if they pursued it and Part of the plan was, well, we don't have all the answers because this literally hasn't been done in Asia before. Now, when we got to the stage of sort of executive sponsorship, a lot of the questions came back around, well, can you please show us previous case studies where you've implemented this exact technology in this industry, in this part of the world? And, you know, as delicately as we could, we tried to explain, well, if we really have those case studies, then you're no longer doing anything innovative. You're just sort of playing copycat and doing what everybody else is doing. So there's not really a competitive advantage in going down that path. So it became clear that even though we're talking to very smart people who individually see the opportunity, as an organization, they were quite paralyzed with fear of breaking the existing things and um, you know potentially jeopardizing existing business models by moving into the new. Um, so we ended up walking away from that situation and they did end up pursuing a watered down version of that plan. But, you know, fast forward a few years, we can see the looming threat in the retail industry of Amazon and Alibaba. And we think it's probably a missed opportunity for that organization to have done something 
quite brave at that time. Um, but if they start to embark on that, it almost feels like it may be a too little, too late. Um, I'd quite like to understand when you're called in, what is the process you go through? Is there a step by step that you normally take? I think that's quite a natural human reaction to want to have a playbook or distill everything down into sort of business transformation for dummies. I would highly recommend anyone working in this space check out a great book called The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. So in it, he puts forward a, a really good framework that that stuck in my mind. So he said, when we're thinking about any sort of business problem, is it simple? Is it complicated? Or is it complex? Which sounds a little bit confusing, but he broke it down like this. So an example of a simple problem is like baking a cake. If I have the ingredients and you give me the recipe, pretty much anyone, even someone bad at cooking like myself, could probably make some semblance of a cake just by following the instructions. A complicated problem would be more like launching a rocket ship. So sure, there are very intricate pieces and you need experts and you need various teams to work together, technologists working with physicists, etc., etc. Et but once you've launched your first rocket into space, it's actually fairly easy to turn that into a playbook and launch a second and a third. And we saw that during the space race um, within the United States. So now if we turn our attention to a complex problem, a complex problem, as he puts it, is like raising a child. Even if you've raised other children before, that is no indicator of future success. Each child is unique. They have their own personality and behave completely independently. So no amount of past experience is going to give you that playbook. The only way you're going to succeed is to have the right mindset, be willing to test and learn, be willing to fail, and gradually come to grips with how to correctly raise this particular child. So let's put that back in context of uh, transformation. If you accept that transforming your business by nature, will require you to innovate and move into unknown areas. I would recommend probably not treating it like baking a cake. It is going to be more like raising a child. If you're doing something truly innovative, there will be elements you can borrow from, but you need to create that mindset of evolution and understand that failing forward is going to be a key element. Um, and much like raising a child, there isn't really a finish line. Well, so... Possibly now you brought in the raising a child example, my my next question is a bit defunct, but I mean, how long does it typically take or is it just vastly different each time? It's also quite a common question. Um, interestingly, the traditional approach that we've seen in transformation has been exactly that, treat it like a project. So you have a budget, you have a timeline, you have a project team, a steering committee, etc. But what we've observed is that in large organizations, by the time you get to the end of that project, the technology landscape has already changed and you almost need to start over again. So it's not uncommon for a lot of these large corporates to, to just be in a constant cycle of starting over again. Um, so one of the key things we observe in the world of startups, though, is they don't really look at it as a project if you want to put a terminology or framework around it, I think it's much more akin to managing a stock portfolio. It's a diverse set of investments and bets. You're constantly measuring and adjusting. You're killing off ones that aren't working, um, but also doubling down on those that do. And as always, you need to be open to new opportunities as they arise to maintain that fluidity and being able to capture the unknown unknowns as they arise. 
once you've gone in, you've set all of these wonderful things up. Then what happens? I think we can learn a lot from the Japanese concept of kaizen or continuous improvement. Continually embracing failure as a way to learn and adapt is very important. But one of the overlooked and underestimated elements, in my opinion, is when we do hit on success. How do you formalize that and sort of lock it in place? Startups are actually very good at doing this, but I think one of the reasons it hasn't been documented so much is because it's done in quite an informal way in the startup world. But、um, in the corporate standpoint, I think there are much more formal processes where, when you do stumble across something where your innovation lab is working very freely and fluidly. And they latch onto something that does become quite repeatable.、Um, it's important that you use the strengths of the corporate to sort of lock that into place. So, we worked with、uh, a company two years ago where it was really launching almost mini startups within the larger corporate. But、um, some of that led to the HR department shifting how they look at performance management or compensation and success measures. All around more innovation metrics, as opposed to just core business metrics, and being able to put in place these policies around the small incremental changes as they come up, as opposed to saying, "Hey, we're going to design a holistic framework from day one,"、um, really helped to give the flexibility and lock in place the things that actually were working. Are you able to give me an example of your most successful transformation? What was so good about it? So a good example of this was、uh, a bank we were working with last year.、Um, they'd actually been investing in a lot of the right places. They'd been investing in people training, and in particular, they'd put literally hundreds of employees through agile training, gaining Scrum certification. So we were brought in because although they were going through so much training. The executives were sort of feeling, well, we're not seeing return on this investment. So what we uncovered was, yes, people are going in, doing this classroom format training, coming out certified、uh, in agile practices. But when they go back to their business as usual, everything else around them remained exactly the same. They still have the lengthy business cases. They still have the same levels of hierarchy required to get any sort of decision across the line. They were still siloed into their departments. So, if you're working in the tech department, well, you do your piece of work, and then you throw it over the fence to the marketing guys or whatever the case may be. So, even though they were doing a lot of the right things and investing in the right spaces, they just weren't seeing the results. So, the way we solved it was actually deceptively simple. What we did was reframe、uh, people and process. So they had a typical hierarchy where each department, as I say, was throwing work over the fence. The way we broke that down was to set up network-based teams.、Uh, what's been called many times the Spotify model of setting up、uh, network-based teams within an organization. So we launched a few pilot teams、uh, of about eight or nine individuals、uh, with some key principles. So each of these teams was cross-functional. So you would have someone from marketing, someone from compliance, legal, technology, operations, etc.、Um, there was no hierarchy, so they self-organized around just getting work done.、Um, they were empowered to make decisions, no sign-offs or lengthy business cases, and most importantly, they were running in fortnightly sprints. So they were able to get product in the hands of customers in weeks 
rather than months or years as it typically had been within the bank. So the initial squads were deemed a success and tribes and squads were rolled out across a large section of the rest of the bank. And part of that success was just creating a new organizational mindset, how to focus on rapidly solving customer problems with minimal wastage rather than focusing on internal hierarchies and the like. So they've since gone on to win a number of awards uh, and gotten a lot of recognition in the industry press as an innovator in their sector. The biggest element of success was just looking at how to unlock the value of the existing investments they'd made um, in terms of training and technology rather than trying to come in with a predetermined playbook, here's how it's done and start from scratch. So it was really about unlocking the potential of what they'd already invested in. If someone's wanting to do what you do and help a corporation behave more like a startup, what are three actionable steps they can take in the short term, maybe in the next day or in the next week to get closer to that goal? So I'm reminded of a great quote from uh, George Singh. Uh, He's a product manager at Facebook. He said, in order to create unusual results, you either need to do unusual things or do usual things in an unusual way which is fairly simple when you think about that, but how do you put it into practice? So I would say as an individual, three things or three mindsets that you can adopt. Firstly, start close to home. Innovation isn't just this thing that happens in labs and at the fringes of an organization. No one knows your role or area of expertise as well as you do. So never feel like your ideas are any less valuable than anyone else's. If you can see a way that your team can work more effectively or maybe create impact in other areas of the business, never feel shy to put a point of view out there. And as always, if you can prototype something and show some measurable results, you're never going to go too far wrong. Uh, Secondly, I'd say the old quote of ask for forgiveness, not permission. So many years ago, I used to work in the world of advertising at a digital agency And we had a producer, he was quite a character. He felt very strongly that we needed a technical production department, which didn't exist within the agency at the time. So after yet another discussion of sort of arguing his point, he just went back to his desk, picked up his laptop, went and sat next to the technical team and just started to work there. And that, in effect, became the birth of the technical production department. Um, he showed some success and then started to build a team around him. So it can be done. And I understand if you work in a very formal investment banking um, environment, it's probably not going to work exactly the same as that. But don't ever let perceived constraints hold you back either. Um, you'll probably discover that many of the constraints were just in your head or often quite uh, perceived constraints within an industry. And finally, I'd say always find your champions. So like Steve Jobs, when he started the Macintosh team, he took over a building and uh, flew the pirate flag. You need to know who your co-conspirators are going to be. And especially if you can get some senior allies on board with what you're trying to do, you'll be surprised at how quickly barriers can come down. So there's a great African proverb I'll close on. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think that's really apt in the world of business today. 